All right, here we go with week number two in Nehemiah. And uh, I am really liking this series because Nehemiah is such a powerful story of what goes on in there. And it's such a powerful story that, that what we've invited all of you to do is to read that along with us. So this was something that we began last week, and we launched this with a reading guide of ways that you can every day just take a little piece of Nehemiah and in a span of three weeks, read through the entire book of Nehemiah so that you don't just come and hear about it a little bit on Sunday, but you can spend time with it during the week. And I'm encouraging you to keep that one up. And, and if, if you missed last week or didn't get it started, it's okay. You can still jump in. Right, so we've, we've got extras of that reading guide at the Welcome Center in the lobby, and you can find that there. And if you've got time, catch up. But if it feels overwhelming, you know what? Just pick up where we're at, and that's okay. You can do that. Join us with that. And I know many of you are taking the opportunity then to be in a discussion group, to be a part of when you do the weekly readings and the questions, to get together around a table with some other folks and talk about that together what you're seeing in those readings, all of that, ways that God, through his Holy Spirit, reveals himself to us through his word as we do that. Here on Sundays, I'm taking us through then just some of the highlights, the themes that come through Nehemiah. So if you've been reading this week, you read part of the story, and part of the story is now uh, what we've gone through in our readings. Nehemiah is starting to build the wall around Jerusalem with the people. And all right, I know you maybe can't see the detail on this map here, but just to give you an image of what they were dealing with, something that maybe helps you envision in those stories that Nehemiah tells, what was the city of Jerusalem like and what were the walls around that and where are all these gates that he's talking about? And if you search online, you can find detail maps that show you every detail as you read through, especially as you read through the chapters that so it told you where each family was working, what section of the wall. You can find that online to see and picture where that is. Or if you don't have access to internet or that kind of thing, but you have a study Bible, chances are in just about every study Bible, you'll find a map like this that gives you in a very general sense just a picture of what that wall, that city would have looked like during that time and where Nehemiah was working within around that. That's all there. Today, today I want to focus on the theme of discouragement, opposition. Because if you read through Nehemiah, we found that already early on, some of these people around the area were becoming opponents, enemies of Nehemiah, trying to stop what Nehemiah was doing. And so Nehemiah had to confront these enemies who were trying to put a stop to the work that he and the people of Israel were trying to do, rebuilding this wall around them. How was he going to confront that opposition? And how was he going to move forward in the face of that? And what adjustments had to be made as they do that? And if you've been reading along, you've been reading how Nehemiah does that. But today I want us to consider what it means to face opposition, or as I'm calling it in the title of this message, sabotage. When our life of faith feels like it's being sabotaged, 
And maybe there are moments when we all feel something like that. I'll say more about that as we move along. Nehemiah confronts that. And he confronts that to where not only are the enemies of his plotting around against him, but we're seeing glimpses in the story that even the other people are starting to doubt. Starting to doubt if this is going to work. How does Nehemiah confront that then? So we're going to read just the little bits and pieces out of that, and I'm going to be selecting some verses from chapter 4 and then some verses from chapter 6 that talk about how the opposition comes, right? Before we read that together, would you join me in a prayer? Let's pray. God, this is your word, and as we open up your word today, we know that this is your word for our lives. So may we today not just read a story from the past, but may we read what you reveal to us about yourself and about the faith you've given to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I'm going to start with some verses from Nehemiah chapter 4, and I'm going to begin at verse 6, where they're halfway through the building project. So we'll pick it up there at verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs and Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Then let me move ahead to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, the way this begins then, I'm going to pick it up at verse 5, but uh, Nehemiah receives a letter from Sanballat, right, one of these opponents. A letter asking, hey, come and meet us so we can talk this one out. But Nehemiah is aware that's not really what he wants. He's just trying to draw Nehemiah out to capture him, to kill him, to put an end to this. So after several of these letters doing that, We pick up this story then about this back and forth between Nehemiah and Sanballat, beginning at verse 5 in chapter 6. Then, the fifth time, the fifth letter, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king 
and have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. It's talking about the Persian king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making this up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Trials, opposition. What it is we do when we find ourselves like Nehemiah does here in a moment of sabotage, right? That he, he, as the story begins, he sees this vision, a vision that he is convinced this is what God has for us and this is where we need to go and this is what we need to do. And then somewhere along the way, trouble comes. Things don't go as smoothly as maybe he thought they would. Parts of the story that I left out here, but if you're reading along, you know what happens, that the workers have to sort of adjust, that they have to carry a weapon in one hand and a building tool in the other, that they always need to be ready because this opposition is coming against them. So what do we do? when opposition comes like that. Because it seems like Nehemiah never flinches, doesn't it? Never. He is so sure of what he needs to do in the direction that God has. And I don't know, maybe Nehemiah is just a really stubborn guy. I'm going to get this done no matter what. But he did see that vision, and even in opposition, he did not flinch away from that. What can we learn about that, about Nehemiah's example in that. All things being equal, I mean, this, this isn't the worst of the worst for the people of Israel. Because you get the sense here that Nehemiah, I mean, the people are still with him. Right? They, they don't turn their backs. They don't throw in the towel and say, you know what, you want to rebuild this wall? You're on your own. You do it yourself. We're out of here. They're still with him. And if you read on through chapter 4, you find Nehemiah telling the people, look, don't be afraid. We don't have any reason to be afraid. It's not fear that is the response here for Nehemiah. I mean, he's taking the necessary precautions, right? I mean, he's not just throwing all caution to the wind and say, you know what? Yeah, there's a threat out there, but ignore it. Pay it no attention at all. He's not saying that. I mean, you get that sense from the story, right? Yeah, arm yourselves, be ready. And we don't get stories here in these chapters of any actual battles. Maybe there were, maybe there weren't. Maybe just the show of force enough was what was needed, right? As as mobs of the enemies would gather and start to come towards them, maybe they would get closer and say, oh, wait a minute. They're armed. They got swords. Maybe this isn't a good idea. And back away. Maybe it happened like that. Maybe it didn't. Nehemiah made a response, and however it goes, the response worked. But they weren't afraid. 
afraid to the point of revolt or abandonment. That's not always the story for God's people. I mean, think way back to Exodus when God rescues his people out of Egypt and the miraculous signs those people saw, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. They go through and three days into the desert after seeing all of that, they say, you know what, Moses, we're hungry. Let's go back. We're done with this. And how many times over and over do the people of Israel find that point where they reach some point of discouragement and their response is, I quit. I'm done. Let's just turn around and go back. Let's go back to where we were before. You don't get that sense here with Nehemiah, right? I mean, the people aren't abandoning. They aren't revolting. So how can we learn something from this, right? What does this mean for us? in times when we face that. He finds this place where the people sort of give this expression of maybe a little bit of doubt, right? The strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. They're not leaving them. They're not abandoning. They just don't see the path forward anymore. So now think a little bit about our own lives of faith. Hmm? Now, maybe you have had moments in your life of faith where it has felt like complete abandonment. Maybe you've had moments like that. I don't even know if I believe this Bible stuff is true anymore. Maybe you've had moments like that. I think much more common, much more common for people like us would be to have moments where Maybe we're not rejecting God, we're not abandoning God, but we are wondering, God, is this the path you have for me? How do I know the right way forward? Especially in times where maybe life gets a little hard, where we find a little bit of opposition, we find a little bit of pushback, and we start to doubt a little bit. God, am I taking the right steps in following your will or not? We wonder that, we question that. And here's what we question. Here's how that question comes to us. What we wonder is, God, is this from you? Or is this from my enemies? That's a very very real question for our lives of faith. When we face moments of, of a little bit of that pushback, where we have to ask the question, God, are you trying to correct my steps? God, are you trying to come in and intervene in ways that maybe I'm heading in the wrong direction and God is trying to steer me in a different direction, of the right direction, his direction? Or is it just discouragement from the enemy trying to get me to stop? How do you know? Those are real questions, aren't they? We face that in our lives of faith. Let's look at Nehemiah here. Let's take a lesson from Nehemiah and then apply that to maybe some of those questions that face us in our own lives of faith. What do we do when we're left with that kind of question? Is God trying to steer me or is the enemy trying to sabotage my faith? How do you know? Nehemiah tells the people in chapter 4, past what we read today, he tells the people, 
look, don't be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of these enemies of God. It is one of the most commonly repeated commands in all of Scripture, one of them. The command that God gives to his people, fear not, don't be afraid, that we are not people who need to live in fear. And you get the sense from Nehemiah's story here that every time he goes back to prayer, and do you see how often he does that? How often, even in the stories that we read here today, he prays, he stops and he prays. And he's not afraid. He's not afraid of the opposition. He has no fear of Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem and all of those other people around them. No fear of them. There's something we can learn from that about those questions of faith when doubt comes in about where we're going. Something that we see that God does not use fear and anger as a means to guide and direct his people. He does not use fear and anger. So, put this one into real life in those moments where maybe you've got some path in front of you that you think and wonder, I'm being obedient to God, but there's trial, there's opposition. Is God trying to steer me in a different direction or is the enemy trying to sabotage me? Take a heart check right there. A heart check. What's motivating that? Is it because I'm afraid? Is it because I'm angry? Is it coming from a sense to where whatever this opposition may be, it's stirring up in me enough anxiety to where I'm terrified? God doesn't do that. God does not use fear or anger as a way to direct us. But, at least as we read about it in here in Nehemiah, we read that his enemies, the opposition, they are very afraid. They're angry. In fact, a word that shows up in here that's translated into English for us is they are incensed, right? They are that upset. They are hanging on to this fear and anger that Nehemiah is a threat, a threat to them. I mentioned a little bit about who these guys were last week. Sambalot is the governor of Samaria. Samaria is the area just to the north of Jerusalem. So the area on, on the map we showed above them. Tobiah is an Ammonite. That means he lived to the area of, to the east on the other side of the Jordan River. And Geshem lives in the area of Kedar, that's to the south. So these are all officials in the areas around Jerusalem. Now, you go back a generation before the exile, Jerusalem was the capital, right? It was the seat of power and authority in that area. As long as Jerusalem stays in ruins, all these other people in the areas around have no threat against them. No reason to think that they would let go of their power. They're in control, these other officials in the areas around. Nehemiah shows up. Jerusalem starts to be rebuilt. And now they see a threat. 
a threat to their own power, a threat to their own areas of control and dominance. And Nehemiah tells us in the story here, they're angry, very angry. The enemies of God use fear and anger to sabotage the obedience of Nehemiah, or at least they're trying to. So that's the first thing. When we wonder in our lives of faith and we find some of that opposition or, or some of that pushback coming back against us and we have that question, that question of doubt, God, are you trying to t- take me in another direction or is the enemy trying to sabotage me? Check where the motivation's coming from. Is it fear? Anger? Is that what's motivating it? Because God does not use fear and anger. God uses through his Holy Spirit, the fruits that he provides, love, joy, peace, a sense of peace. I read between the lines a little bit here in Nehemiah, right? There's always these moments where he stops and he prays, but I pray to God, and then, and I get the sense that Nehemiah feels and knows peace about what he's doing. He's not reacting in fear and anger, but he is overcome with the peace of God through the Holy Spirit. When you and I face those moments of choice like that, and we bring that to God in prayer, and we wonder, God, am I on the right path? Are you trying to steer me in a different direction, or is the enemy trying to sabotage me? And and if that right path is a path where I feel peace about that, I prayed about it. I brought it to God. I keep bringing it to God. And and it's not a path I'm afraid of. I feel a peace about it. That doesn't mean it will suddenly be easy. But you see where I'm going with this. Nehemiah embraces a peace in his action, in his way forward, where his enemies are embracing fear anger. They're incensed. That's one thing. Then, jumping ahead to chapter 6, there's this other thing, right? Now, the enemies of Nehemiah are trying to spread lies. I love how Nehemiah responds to that, right? The lies that are coming. He says, hang on, nothing like that you're saying is happening. You're just making this up out of your head. You're making it up. These are lies, Nehemiah keeps himself grounded in the truth. That's another important thing to remember. When we find those moments in life where maybe our faith hits that crisis point or some doubt starts creeping in and we need to be grounded again back into the truth and the truth of God's word. God reveals his truth in his word. Truth that sometimes we need to be reminded of. Reminded of who we are in God. This is what Jesus says in John 3.16, familiar passage, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever 
not just the right people or the special people or the people who get it right or whoever. Whoever comes to God in faith is accepted by God. Sometimes maybe that's a truth that we need to remind ourselves of in those moments of doubt, right? God, am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I following you the right way? Am, is this really a path that you have for me to be one of your people like this? And maybe some of those questions of doubt that creep in, those questions of doubt, God, I'm not sure I'm, I'm good enough for this. God, I, I'm not sure that all the things that I've done in my past that maybe have failed, that haven't worked out, that I'm not sure I can get past that. But God gets past that. Because the truth of God's word is, none of those things are held against you. The truth of God's word is, anyone who comes to God in faith, anyone is accepted by him. That's what he reveals to us in his word. So Jesus comes. He goes to the cross. He gives himself so that all of that sin, all of those failures, all of those shortcomings, all of those doubts of I'm not good enough, I've messed up, I'm not good enough to be one of those people God wants me to be, all of that Jesus took to the cross. And now the righteousness of Christ is what covers us. That's the truth of God's word. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. I mean, if you come here every Sunday, you know that in some sense during a sermon, I'm going to say those words over and over and over again because we just need to hear that over and over and over again, don't we? We need to be reminded of the truth of God's word when doubt gets in the way, when the enemies of God try to sabotage our obedience of faith. In John 10, Jesus sort of frames it up this way, right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So in those moments of doubt, in those moments of wondering, is God trying to correct the direction of my faith or is an enemy trying to sabotage my obedience of faith? Is it something that is coming to steal, to destroy, to tear down? Or is it a direction where it gives life in the fruit of what God provides? So we see that. We see that as a second thing here, right? That God uses the truth, his truth, revealed to us in the Bible to direct the action of my faith. I think Nehemiah grabbed onto that. He recognized the lies around him when they were lies. And he recognized those things as lies because he was grounded in the truth. He knew the truth of God's word that gave him a clearer vision for how his faith could take action and take steps forward. How do we recognize that in our own lives, right? How do we recognize the truth of God's word when it shows up in our own lives? Because 
All right, let's be honest about it. The Bible doesn't always give us one-for-one answers with every situation we face, right? I mean, if it's a career choice, I've got a couple options. God, which job should I take? There's not a verse in the Bible I can point to that says, all right, Tom, go do this. Um, The truth of God's word takes a little bit of interpretation for us. How do we do that? How do we find that interpretation and know when it's true or when it's not true? You know what? Jesus had something to say about that too. Matthew 7, he says this. Watch out for the false prophets, right? The ones telling lies, the saboteurs. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. I highlighted this part. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. I don't think it's Jesus' point in this story to um, frighten us, right? Uh Uh-oh, I better bear good fruit or else I'm going to burn. I think because a phrase twice repeated in that story, Jesus is telling us something else. Look at the fruit. Look at what's produced. If it's a course of action, if it's a direction in front of you that produces spiritual fruit, And we've talked about that before. Paul talks about what that spiritual fruit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Holy Spirit produces those things. When we follow God in faithful obedience, the Holy Spirit produces that kind of fruit. You want to know, am I walking in biblical truth or not? Look at the fruit. Look at what the Holy Spirit produces through it. Because if the thing coming out of it on the other end is anger, or fear, or resentment, or anxiety, that's not fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's sabotage. But if you work through that path and what comes out on the other side is the Holy Spirit is producing through that love and joy and peace. That's confirmation of the truth. Jesus says so. By their fruit. You will recognize it. By the fruit. So God uses his truth revealed in his word. And God's truth is affirmed by spiritual fruit, produced by the Holy Spirit. That's how we know. That's sort of our test of where the Spirit is at work, by the fruit that is produced. So Nehemiah stands up to that. And that doesn't mean the path was any easier. right? I imagine the work slowed down when I've got to carry a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other, it's not going as fast as I wanted it to. I had to adjust course. But it still moves forward because Nehemiah sees past the sabotage. 
He sees past the fear and the anger and the doubt. He sees past the lies and keeps himself grounded in the truth. Jesus never promises that our life of discipleship is going to be an easy one. Never promises that it's going to be easy. But he does give us everything we need to walk in faithful obedience. Everything. He gives us his word to reveal his truth. He gives us his Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. And that's all we need from God to follow in faithful obedience to him. Even when doubts come our way, we can confront that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. And God, we, we need to confess that, yep, sometimes we are people who become overwhelmed in our own doubts. We need to confess that sometimes we are people who question the direction forward and those questions don't always come from the fruit of your spirit, but they come from our own fears, our own anxieties, our own angers. So God, we pray today that you would restore us again to seeing the truth of your word, to seeing the fruit that your Holy Spirit bears through your people, and that you would ground us all the more firmly in the truth of your word as we walk forward in faith. God, that is a work of your spirit in us. And we pray that you would do that work in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.